Hey, this is Danny Lavery. I wanted to tell you about another show you should check out, How to Do It. Slate's sex advice column is now a podcast with Stoya and Rich Juzwiak tackling questions they couldn't possibly answer alone. There are episodes on strange new dating behaviors and the wrong way to open a relationship and a husband who really needs an explanation for what he just saw his wife doing. Experts join them too and answer questions about sex you might not know you had. You never know what else you might learn. Subscribe now to How to Do It wherever you get your podcasts. Warning, this podcast contains explicit language and very specific discussions of sex. Hi, I'm Rich Juzwiak. I'm a writer. And I'm Stoya, a writer and semi-retired pornographer. Welcome to the How to Do It podcast, where we try to help you with all of your sex and relationship issues twice a week. You can ask us anything about sex or your bodies or dating etiquette or whatever. We're here to help. So um, we're in New York City in the beginning of 2022, which feels a lot like New York City in the beginning of 2021 and a lot like New York City in March and April of 2020. COVID is not going away. It continues to mutate and it actually causes dick problems. So not only are we going to continue hearing about the social safety concerns around COVID, but we're also seeing questions from people who are having problems with their dicks because of COVID. Yeah. I mean, the link between COVID and erectile dysfunction, I think is pretty conclusive at this point. Obviously, not everybody with a penis who gets COVID will have erectile issues, but there certainly seems to be an elevated chance. And I think it just goes to show that I don't know that we're ever out of the woods with this thing, you know? Symptoms persist. There's a concept called long COVID. Sometimes people's symptoms persist without abating. Uh, Personally speaking, I lost my sense of taste and smell early in the pandemic in 2020, and that's never come back entirely. I mean, it's it's back enough that I enjoy food, but I would say that I'm at like a decent like 70% of what it was, you know, which is actually helpful when my cat uses the litter box if I'm home alone because I'm not, you know, smelling it. If there's somebody <laughs> over or somebody coming over, I think that's a bigger issue. Do I stink? Do I need deodorant? Do I care? I don't know. So there is like this idea that like, it sticks with you. That's a great reason to get vaccinated, to do your best to avoid COVID because you don't know what's going to stick with you. And one of those things, people with penises, is maybe a smaller dick. It's a thing. So that's what we're talking about today. Uh, And my former job intimidates people and my current job intimidates people. So I have I have a lot of experience with limp penises that are because of psychological circumstance more than physiological. And with that, you know, you just want to be like, okay, that's fine. We don't need your penis. We can do other things. We can have fun with a limp penis, actually. Like there's all sorts of stuff that can happen. But when it's because of a medical concern, you want to address that. Yes, for sure. And so let's address it. Great. Let's hear our first letter. Dear How to Do It, 
I'm a heterosexual man in my 30s. In July of last year, I contracted COVID and was very sick. When I got out of the hospital, I had some erectile dysfunction issues. Those gradually got better with some medical attention, but I seem to be left with a lasting problem. My penis has shrunk. Before I got sick, I was above average. Not huge, but definitely bigger than normal. Now I've lost about an inch and a half and become decidedly less than average. It's apparently due to vascular damage, and my doctors seem to think it's likely permanent. It shouldn't really matter, but it has had a profound impact on my self-confidence and my abilities in bed. I know you can't give me back my missing length and girth. I was wondering if you could give me any advice on what to do now. Signed, coming up short. Because there's so much that we don't know, I thought maybe we should reach out to an expert or two. Awesome. And so I have this urologist, Charles Welliver. He is the director of men's health at Albany Medical College. I use him a lot for my penis and urology-related questions, and he has graciously agreed to speak with us. We just talked to him about COVID dick, and is it a thing? So yeah, you can connect these dots actually. So, you know, one of the things that we know about COVID is of course, you know, the massive respiratory symptoms that uh, leads to a lot of the deaths, but there's also pretty significant vascular issues that occur with guys. And uh, studies have actually shown that both guys can get priapism, the prolonged erection that's dangerous in its own right. And the guys can also get ED from getting COVID. So it can kind of go both directions with these vascular events. But when guys get ED, they get a lack of good erections for a while, right? That's why it's defined. But when that happens, they actually do get some, some shrinkage. We do know that guys get some shortening. So you can kind of connect the dots through that. How prevalent is A, guys who experience ED post-COVID and B, people who have ED who then see shrinkage? Is this common in either designation? Probably every guy that has significant ED, not like a every so often type of problem. Every guy that has significant ED probably gets some shrinkage. Um, and we see that particularly in uh, guys after they have their prostate out for cancer and they have like zero erection for six to 12 weeks, they all get shrinkage. And there's actually some things you can do to rehabilitate that. But to answer your other question, you know, we don't know what kind of the total number of guys that have had COVID at this point is because mm. so many people are asymptomatic. But I can't say I've seen like a lot of guys for like young guys with ED after COVID. I wouldn't say it's really, really common, but it's certainly a possibility. So you said something a minute ago about rehabilitation. Can you give us some more information on that? So the concept of rehabilitation actually started after radical prostatectomy because we knew that guys had this temporary loss. So the original stuff was to try and use like a low dose daily Viagra um, or something along those lines. But more recently, we've started to look at a different kind of stretching devices or traction devices. There's one called Restorex, which is used that the data is actually very good on about regaining length and maintaining length. And there's other ones called vacuum erection devices, which have been used for ED for forever, which also has some potential benefit there, too. Yeah, our writer said, I know you can't give me back my missing length and girth. And it sounds like actually there might be a way to get some of that back. There is very good data that shows that is possible. So I hope he's listening. So I also reached out to an expert, Ashley G. Winter, who I found through Twitter. And she had so much to say. She's a woman urologist, which is very rare and fascinating in itself. 
10% of urologists are female. So we've got a unicorn on our hands. Yes, I love a good unicorn. Do you know anything about COVID dick shrinkage? Yeah. Okay, so in terms of why there are negative effects of COVID on the penis, right? The main reason that we think this occurs is something that we call endothelial dysfunction. And I'm using like, you know, jargon words here, but that's basically the cells that line your blood vessels. They're like smooth muscle cells and they line your blood vessels. And they're really important for the function of many different organs. And COVID gets into those cells. And so that means it affects many different organs in your body, not just your lungs. And because the erection is, you know, a blood flow event, right? You get hard because a whole bunch of blood moves into your penis and stays there. When those blood vessels are affected, you know, then then you can get the erectile dysfunction. And there's actually a really cool study uh, that was done from by some urologists in Miami where they took samples of penis tissue in men who were undergoing a penile implant surgery. And they looked for COVID in the penis and they found COVID, you know, virus particles in people's penises. And this was after they had completely recovered from the disease. So we totally know that COVID dick is like a real thing and people aren't just like making it up. Like the COVID is actually in your dick. (laughs) Is there like a sexually transmittable COVID risk that we should be concerned about? You know, it's not considered to be transmitted through sex. And actually, you they have found COVID in the testicles. They have shown impaired uh, testicular function after COVID infection, meaning, you know, it could cause your testosterone co- to go down, it could cause, you know, reduced fertility. And, and actually, this is another cool thing. There, there are studies comparing men before and after COVID vaccination and looking at their sperm parameters. And there was absolutely no negative effect of COVID vaccination on sperm parameters. You know, so that's another reason to convince people to get vaccinated because it's also bad for your balls in addition to your dick. But it can't like live in their balls for weeks after recovery and then be like, surprise, you've got COVID. It can live in your balls for weeks afterwards. But like, is there a case, right, of somebody who went around and had sex with a bunch of people after they had COVID and gave them all COVID? Like, absolutely not. So no. (laughs) When we talk about the effects of COVID, is it too early to say whether these resolve over time or are permanent? It does appear, at least with the testicles, that the negative effect is not permanent. You know, the Mm. amount of time that it will take afterwards to get your testicular performance or balls working the way they should, you know, can probably vary, but you imagine it would be somewhere on the order of months. You know, with the penis, I, I don't think that's been well established. The problem is that If you do have erectile dysfunction that's really profound for a period of time, there can be some of these what we call more permanent effects, right? So, you know, this guy is saying that he has shortening. It is true that having erectile dysfunction leads to shortening. Now, there are types of ED, for example, performance anxiety-related erectile dysfunction that don't lead to penile shortening. And the reason is because even if you get nervous and you lose your erection, but your penis is otherwise healthy, right? Like the blood vessels in your penis are healthy. 
then when you go to sleep at night, you're going to have nocturnal erections or you're going to masturbate and have nice erections. So that is really important actually for the health of your penis to bring the blood flow in, to stretch it out and kind of that maintains the length and girth and health of your penis. So people with that type of ED are still getting like full erections at some point, whether or not they realize it. Now, if you have like a real physical erectile dysfunction, you know, a classic example is like men after they've had their prostate removed for prostate cancer. You know, somebody who has erectile dysfunction from COVID, they may also have this very physical type where possibly they're not even getting a full nocturnal erection, right? So you have this period of time where the penis is not stretching itself out, where it's not you know, getting all this full blood into it. And that can lead to scarring of the penis and shortening of the penis. And that's probably what, you know, your collar is referring to. Now, uh, there are things you can do to, to help with this. So there's a really common concept of penile rehab, and that's done for men, you know, or prostate bearing individuals who have had prostate cancer surgery. Uh, so that they don't lose length and have scarring during that period of erectile dysfunction. So that when they come back to getting their, their erections, that they maintain their penis length. And, and how do they do that? So a typical regimen would be, you know, starting uh, something like Viagra or Cialis soon after their surgery or even before it, again, to improve blood flow. Another thing would be to buy a penis vacuum device and do kind of what we call, you know, penis exercise with it or penis push-ups. And that's where you just take the vacuum device. And, and sorry, these are, you know, really commonly when you think of them, it's, it's used, you know, for sex. And what happens is people put a constriction band, aka cock ring, you know, at the base of their penis, and they put the vacuum device on and they pull blood into the penis, make it hard and have sex. But if you use it for penile rehab or, you know, penis exercise, you don't use the constriction band. You just put the thing on, you know, suck blood into the penis to stretch it out. Those are two options. And then the last thing is using traction. And that's uh, essentially you buy a device that you put on your penis and it holds it in stretch. The one that I recommend to most patients is one called RestoreX. I have absolutely no financial relationship with them, uh, but it's a great device. And they actually have their data on their website and they show in men with shortening of the penis from erectile dysfunction or other, you know, kind of chronic disease that they can have improvement of penile length by, uh, you know, one to two centimeters uh, with consistent use of this sort of thing. So these are easy things you can do at home to either prevent shortening or actually get back the length that you've lost. So let's say our guy is like, I don't want to take pills. This machine thing weirds me out. I'd rather just like come to terms with my new penis dimensions. Do you have any advice for him on how to become comfortable with his parts as they are? Totally. So, you know, if you look at the literature on people who are unhappy with their penis length, there's actually like studies on this. In those same studies, they show that the partners of those people are very happy with their penis length, right? And so, you know, in general, and I know this is a message you would agree with, you know, being a good sex partner really doesn't have anything to do with your penis length. I mean, <laughs> it, you know, it's just how responsive you are to your partner and, and your communication and, you know, other talents. So I think, you know, keeping in mind that, you know, penis length doesn't define somebody and the vast majority of the time, 
dissatisfaction with penis length is really self driven and not partner driven and like you know liberating yourself from the version of yourself that you felt like you had to be uh you know to be comfortable you know with sexual activity is just super important so i went into this question thinking there was no hope kind of siding with the writer apparently there is like actual hands-on hope for changing or restoring penis length which blows my mind there's so many options of hope and i hope that that hope (laughs) is enough in itself right now to set him on a different path like hope can be so important as a motivating force as a way of showing you not to give up yeah i feel like so much of I don't know, depression, so much of just a a negative worldview is that absence of hope. So hopefully, at the very least, listening to this, there is use to be taken just from the affirmation that, like, actually, it's not over for you. You don't need to mourn this loss necessarily. There are things you can actively do and try. And I would really, really recommend taking our doctor's word up, you know? Yeah, and if they want to see a urologist of their own, they can ask if the urologist feels comfortable talking about sexual health. And if not, find a urologist who is comfortable. Yeah, I mean, visit Oregon if you have to. Dr. (laughs) Ashley will be happy to see you. Go west. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, moving on to the next question. Dear How to Do It, I'm a woman in my 30s who just ended a long-term monogamous relationship. Now, a couple months post-breakup, the idea of having sex with someone new sounds super exciting. After a positive referral from a female friend, I downloaded the Field app with the idea of finding someone with whom I could have a fun, casual sexual experience. Here's the catch. I'm not certain I'm capable of having a fun, casual sexual experience. I've never once had a one-night stand, and the majority of sex I've had has been with long-term romantic partners. I often describe myself as demisexual due to the fact that sexual attraction doesn't generally occur for me until I know, trust, and feel an emotional connection with someone. For me, what makes sex good is the passion, the connection, the romance, and the anticipation. My question is, am I kidding myself thinking I can get what I want from an app-like field? It seems like most people who use it are within the kink, poly, or BDSM community, none of which I belong to. And the first person I matched with tried to get me to meet him that same day for a hookup, which freaked me out so much that I immediately unmatched with him. Should I just wait to have sex with my next romantic partner, wherever that ends up being? Am I too monogamous and vanilla for casual hookup, or should I continue to talk to people, be upfront about what I'm looking for, and push through the uncomfortable feelings that come from being in a completely unfamiliar territory? Signed, Trying to Play the Field. The word demisexual refers to a person who's in between allosexual and asexual, meaning they're interested in sex, but only in very specific contexts. Right. And and in particular, an emotional connection is what would make a demisexual feel open to and interested in sex, right? It basically distinguishes people who would be interested in having sex first and then form the romantic connection from people who are actually interested in the romantic connection first and then the sex. 
So on WebMD, demisexual people only feel sexually attracted to someone when they have an emotional bond with that person. Okay. But I think that you're right in orienting it between aloe and asexual. Yeah. Yeah. So field is actually a really great space for this. Mm. I've interacted with various apps. In this specific question, I would recommend Field and OkCupid Mm -hmm. because they attract people who are open to having a pretty blunt discussion about sex. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, I realized I was in New York for like four months straight, and so I fired up Field. Mm -hmm. And I gave my profile a once-over. And under interests, I added receiving oral sex. Okay. Within a week, I was feet up in a hotel room receiving oral sex for like literally two hours. It was incredible. Great. And that kind of like, here is what I'm looking for, Mm -hmm. goes a long way on both of those sites. And people also generally tend to put in their profiles what their deal is. And I think it comes from mostly being poly, queer, kinky. We tend to have more comfort discussing sex, more comfort sharing our desires. Well, it's because you can't take your desires and sex for granted. You understand the status quo and how you deviate from it. And that creates this ability in some people to articulate. Yes. So what I would recommend is put in your field bio, I mean, keep it succinct, any dating app, keep it pretty short. But I would say I'm possibly demisexual and would love your help in running an experiment on whether I can be happy with a casual hookup. Yeah, that's. I think that's really smart to yeah. set the expectations because there is some some waffling in this question. It's kind of almost hard to tease out It's based in conflict. It's based on having these two distinct drives that are somewhat feeding off of each other. It's a push-pull. I I think I want this. I don't want this. Whatever. Being honest about that, reducing any kind of expectation that is unwarranted is going to always serve you well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what you talk about, you know, field no Cupid, I think this is that's like de rigueur or however you say it for men who have sex with men apps, mm-hmm. you know, saying what you want, it, it probably to a fault where it becomes so transactional. And it's like, I want this thing. You won't give me that thing. You are not right for me. And it kind of <laughs> can feel like robotic in a way when I, you know, when I find I fall too deep into like one of those patterns then it's like, oh no, but like. Part of the fun of a sexual experience could be to, like, leave it up to, like, whatever happens, especially if you're averse, you know? I mean, that's the wonderful thing about, like, being a man who has sex with men. You can really easily do so many different things. So I kind of go back and forth. But I do think that in this particular case, stating your interests, lack thereof, biases, etc., is the way to go. Yeah, and I would stay the hell away from Bumble and Hinge. Mm. It's rare to find a person there who's like, yeah, let's like talk about sex like right now. And oh. I have no idea what Tinder's like. I only used Tinder briefly years ago, and I found it to be like slow grinder. Like whereas like I would facilitate a grinder hookup, you know, like that. Tinder, I usually had to go on a date. 
and like ease into the sex that was inevitable anyway. And it was kind of like, okay, I mean, like I get human connection, but it also feels kind of like a waste of time. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But be upfront about your question. Yes. Offer it as an exciting experiment. Would you like to participate in me finding something out about myself? Right. And go slow. Like maybe today you feel like, okay, now's the day I'm actually going to do this and post this profile. And then tomorrow you feel like, no, this is getting way too fast. I actually don't want to do that. And then you don't sign on to the app that day. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like, okay, so you met someone who wanted to move at a different speed and you immediately unmatched. Great. That's also how I do it. Yes. And it's really okay if at the end of this experiment you realize what you think you know already, which is that actually, no, I'm going to enjoy sex in a romantic capacity. One night stands are not for me. Uh, that's totally fine. You don't, they don't need to be. And there's actually a lot of emotional fallout that can happen as a result of what feels like a very kind of throwaway experience. Oh gosh. Yeah. So you're not opening yourself up to like all of this unexpected baggage. So there's pluses and minuses for whatever path in life you take, whether you want to be like a crazy slut or totally proper and, uh, (laughs) virtually sexless. (laughs) There's pros and cons in every field. Yeah. Okay, that's all for now, but we're not done this week. In tomorrow's episode, we hear from a letter writer who's apparently so attractive that it's getting in the way of his work and life. I'm just like, oh, are you professionally established? (laughs) Sexy. Not only do you know what you want to do with your life, but you've executed it. Ah. Yes. Um, I think for our writer's purposes, we're now part of the problem. I know. (laughs) To hear that discussion, sign up for Slate Plus for just $1 at slate.com slash H-D-D-I-P-L-U-S. If you're in need of sex advice, you can write to howtodoit at slate.com slash howtodoit. Or you can leave us a voicemail at 347-640-4025 and we may use it on the show. Everything is anonymous and nothing is too weird or embarrassing. Our show is produced by Chow Tu. How to Do It's editor is Jeffrey Bloomer. Our letter readers are Shasha Leonard and Benjamin Frisch. And if you've been loving the show, please rate and subscribe. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.